from this episode. For fun, I priced out an itinerary to get to all the Disney parks in the world. Some of you might know that in addition to being a lover of air travel, I'm also a big fan of Disney parks and have visited every single one in the world. So here we go. We start at Disneyland Resort in Los Angeles and then go to Orlando for Walt Disney World. Then, the trip takes us to Paris for Disneyland Paris, then the Shanghai Disney Resort, Hong Kong Disneyland Resort, and finally, Tokyo Disney Resort, before going back to Los Angeles. This is Flying Smarter, the podcast that explores the fascinating world of air travel to help you become a smarter and savvier traveler. While flying can be stressful and frustrating, the world of commercial aviation is also incredibly intriguing. Flying Smarter delves into the miraculous and often misunderstood realm of air travel by sharing stories and experiences, looking at how things work in the air travel industry, and providing tips and advice for your next trip. Your host, Andrew, is here to answer your questions about flying and explore different aspects of the air travel experience to make you a better informed and better prepared traveler for your next flight. And welcome to episode 55 of Flying Smarter. My name is Andrew, and I'm your host. In this episode, I'm going to begin by talking about the different names for airline cabin classes and what they all mean. And then for the main segment, I'm going to talk about round-the-world tickets. I'll take a look at what your options are if you want to circumnavigate the world by air, and how they stack up against each other. Now, let's get started. What do all the airline cabin class names mean? Signature class, Sega Premium, World Traveler, Mint, these are all names of different cabin classes on different airlines. Now we're all familiar with the first class, business class, and economy class system, but what's with all the names? As you probably expected, the answer isn't all that simple. Traditionally, airlines typically had three cabin classes, first class, business class, and economy class. Of course, the details have always varied between airlines and aircraft, but things have evolved into the more complicated situation that we have today. I'll start with the basics of the cabins and then get back to the different names. First class in the traditional sense of the term refers to the airline's top product, typically found on long-haul aircraft. These were the airline's best seats, with the best food, amenities, and service offerings. This type of product still exists but is less common than it was in the past, with only a handful of airlines around the world still having a true first class product, and the ones that do generally only have it on certain long-haul flights. Airlines like British Airways, Emirates, Lufthansa, and all Nippon Airways are among the ones that still have first-class products. American Airlines is the only airline left in the United States with a traditional first-class product, but it's slated to be eliminated later this year. Now there's a bit of an asterisk here, but I'll get to that in a bit. Then we have business class, and I'll split this into two. There's long-haul business class, which is typically found on wide-body planes, and then you have short to medium-haul or domestic or regional business class. On the long-haul side, although both first and business class used to feature large recliner seats, modern long-haul wide-body first class and business class seats now typically lie completely flat. The seats are more like individual pods, meaning that business class nowadays is nicer than what first class used to be. This is one of the reasons that many airlines have eliminated first class. Their business cabins are very nice already. Now moving on to the short and medium haul side, or regional business class, or domestic business class, or there's different names for it, 
you typically have large recliner seats on narrow-body planes. In Europe specifically though, the standard for European business class on single-aisle planes is for business class to be the first few rows of economy class. The seats are the same but with more legroom and the middle seat is blocked off if there is one. This gives airlines the flexibility to increase or decrease the amount of business class seats as necessary. In the United States, the domestic business class product is typically referred to as first class or domestic first class, and this is the asterisk that I was referring to when I said that American is eliminating its first class. While the US's last long haul first class is gone, the airlines' domestic business class products are still known as first class in some cases. In other parts of the world, the premium cabin on a narrow body aircraft is typically just referred to as business class. Now before we get to economy, many airlines now also have premium economy class cabins, typically found on wide body aircraft. These seats are wider with more legroom and typically have better amenities and food than economy class. And of course economy is the most straightforward and I won't get into it too much because I think we all have a pretty good idea of what's on offer. In terms of naming, economy class is also usually the most simple, with commonly understood alternative names like main cabin or coach. And now that we're on the topic of naming cabins, airlines can get quite creative when it comes to naming their products. Different carriers have come up with all sorts of names, even when the actual products mostly fall into one of the categories that I just went over. Most airlines with first class just call it first class, although there's some exceptions to this like Air France, which calls their first class product La Première. Economy class is also pretty straightforward, with airlines typically calling it something like economy class or main cabin. There are some airlines with more unusual names though. British Airways, for example, calls their economy class product either World Traveler or Euro Traveler, depending on where you're flying. Airlines that offer extra legroom seats in economy also have different names for these, like United's Economy Plus, Delta Comfort Plus, and American's Main Cabin Extra. Business class is where it can get confusing, and where there are all sorts of different names. The following examples are all names for lie-flat business class products. Delta One, Air Canada Signature Class, Qantas Business Class, EVA Air Royal Laurel Class, United Polaris, KLM Business Class, Qatar Airways Business Class, and JetBlue Mint. And even with those narrow-body recliner-style business class seats, Delta always refers to them as first class, but United and American call them either first class or business class, depending on where you're flying. Premium economy is typically just called premium economy, but some airlines also have their own names, like Delta Premium Select. So how do you make sure you know what you're flying on? Well, it can pay off to do your own research and know what you're booking. For example, if you're flying domestically in the US with one of the big three carriers, American, Delta, or United, and you book first class, you'll typically find yourself in one of those recliner business class seats. But some domestic flights get operated by wide-body aircraft, meaning that you would be in a lie-flat business class seat. To find out the names for the different products offered by the airline that you're flying on, you can look on their website and you'll find a section that goes over the different travel classes. Looking at the information and photos, you can typically figure out what they call their different cabin types. Now of course, if you're flying on certain airlines, like most low-cost carriers, this isn't really an issue because it's all just economy class seats, maybe with some extra legroom seats, but for airlines that offer multiple classes, their websites generally lay things out quite well. You can usually find this section under website sections like travel information or flying with us. You can also usually just Google, insert name of the airline here, classes, and that should get you to where you need to be. When you're booking, some airlines make it fairly easy to find out what type of seat you're flying on. 
If you're booking Delta's wide-body business class product, for example, clicking on the cabin name brings up an information window that includes images and information on the aircraft and type of seat. Meanwhile, Air Canada has an indicator for lie-flat seats on their booking page. With some other airlines though, you'll have to look at the type of aircraft that you're flying on, usually somewhere around the flight information, or you might have to click on the flight info or details button, and then you can find the section of the website where the airline has seat maps. A Google search for airline name and then the word seat maps or fleet will typically take you there, and then you can see what types of seats are on the plane. Third-party websites like Aerolopa, which I talked more about at the beginning of episode 45, flying with a baby, can also be helpful. Keep in mind that the aircraft type can always be swapped, which can affect what's on offer. Did you know that the two major Japanese airlines use the same names and logo colors for their cabin classes? Here's a bit of a follow-up to what I was just talking about with the different cabin names. Japan's two large international airlines, All Nippon Airways and Japan Airlines, each have four international cabins. First class, business class, premium economy class, and economy class. They both use these simple and easy to understand names, but what is perhaps more impressive is that they use the same colors to represent these classes. Despite the airlines having very different color palettes and aesthetics, they both use a red logo for first class, blue for business, green for premium economy, and a lighter green for economy, although Japan Airlines' economy class green is a bit lighter with some turquoise. These logos and colors are used for things like check-in and boarding. Now I don't know if there's any coordination here between the airlines, but I think it's quite nice and provides a standardized experience for travelers in Japan. I feel like there's always been something romanticized about the idea of flying around the world. From the golden age of flying to the modern aviation world that we live in today, the idea of jet setting across the globe seems to be an aspiration or a dream for many. Now the idea of circumnavigating the globe isn't just possible through booking a bunch of individual tickets or having your own private jet. It's actually possible to book tickets that will take you all around the planet. In today's main segment, I want to take a look at round the world tickets, covering what they are, how they work, whether they're worth it, and your alternative options. Now, the term around the world can mean different things, but in the context of today's episode, I'm referring to the idea of flying in one direction around the globe, making stops along the way to visit different places. Yes, you can go ahead and book a bunch of separate tickets, which I'll touch on later, but two of the three major airline alliances out there give you the option to book it all on one ticket. For anyone who isn't familiar with an alliance, these are basically groups of airlines who have a formal agreement to create benefits through large-scale cooperation. The most important reason why these airlines cooperate through alliances is to expand their networks. Alliance partners generally do a lot of coaching with each other, which allows them to increase the number of destinations they serve. And if you're not familiar with the idea of co-chairing, it's basically in when an airline markets and puts its own flight number on a flight operated by another airline. The seats on that flight are sold not only by the airline that's operating the flight, but by all of its co-chairing partners as well. Alliance partners also generally allow reciprocal points and miles earnings and redemptions through their frequent flyer programs, as well as standardized benefits for elite flyers. So like I was saying earlier, two of the three major alliances out there, Star Alliance and One World, give you the option to book a round-the-world ticket. The third alliance, SkyTeam, used to have this as well, but it was the most limited of the three programs and has since been discontinued. Now, 
let's take a look at the Star Alliance and One World Alliance's Round the World tickets. There are 26 Star Alliance member airlines, making it the largest alliance out there. Here are the rules for its Round the World tickets. You must start and end in the same country and go either east or west. The journey has to cross the Pacific Ocean once and the Atlantic Ocean once as well. You must have between 2 and 15 stopovers of more than 24 hours each, and the itinerary can have a maximum of 16 coupons. They define a coupon as an air sector or a segment where you choose to pay for your own transportation, and multi-airport cities also count as a coupon. There is also a minimum of 10 days for the trip and a maximum of 1 year, and your trip can have a maximum mileage of 39,000 miles. As is the case with regular flight bookings, the pricing depends on your specific itinerary. You can build your own trip based on the desired destinations, but the Star Alliance website also has some themed sample itineraries for inspiration. For example, the romantic journey takes you to places like Venice, the Maldives, Thailand, Singapore, San Francisco, Vancouver, and Paris, while their wine tasting itinerary features destinations like Bordeaux, Milan, Beijing, San Francisco, Sao Paulo, and Cape Town. There is a tool on the Star Alliance website that allows you to plan and book round the world tickets, and I spent some time playing around with it when preparing this episode. Here are some of my results to give you some context. I tried using a slightly modified version of their cultural experiences itinerary, and chose a starting city of New York. The routing took me from New York to Montreal, to Tokyo, to Bangkok, to London, to Tbilisi, to Stockholm, and then back to New York. From this, I learned that the east or west rule means that your whole trip has to go in one of these directions, but you can have some segments that backtrack or go backwards within certain parts of the world. This trip has 6 stopovers and 23,369 miles, and for a 49 night departure on May 11th of 2024, the pricing was around $6,000 in economy class or around $11,000 in business class. For something a bit more budget friendly, I did an itinerary starting in Frankfurt, flying to Istanbul, then to New Delhi, Singapore, Los Angeles, Washington DC, and then back to Frankfurt over 24 nights departing on September 17th of 2024. This came out to about 21,693 miles and 5 stopovers for a price of $3,279 US dollars in economy class or $8,240 US dollars in business. I priced this out for a mid-September departure, but interestingly, I found that the price didn't fluctuate that much when I priced it out during the summer instead. Star Alliance Around the World pricing is based on mileage, meaning that the farther or the more you fly, the more expensive it gets. There are some limitations on where you can fly to even within the alliance's network. Sometimes if you try putting in certain combinations of airports, it would tell you that you couldn't fly between them. This is particularly the case between airports where Star Alliance carriers don't have a large presence. For example, I got this error between Boston and Berlin. You aren't limited to Star Alliance hubs and bases in your trip, but if you do choose to include these, you typically have more options and can reduce the amount of connections you have to make. So of course, after spending too much time playing around with the Star Alliance tool, I had to try out the One World one. One World actually has two types of round the world fares. The first is called One World Explorer, and this is a continent based fare that depends on the number of continents that you choose to visit. The second is called Global Explorer, and is distance based. Global Explorer also gives you access to flights operated by some airlines outside of the Alliance, like Fiji Airways and WestJet. 
The rules are fairly similar to what you find with Star Alliance. You have to travel in one direction, either east or west, but you can backtrack within a continent. Your itinerary must cross both the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans and include a minimum of three continents. The trip has to be between 10 days and one year, and you have to start and end in the same city, and your trip has to include at least three flights and a maximum of 16. There's also a maximum of 39,000 miles as well. Just like Star Alliance, the One World website has a tool to help you book these tickets, although the layout is a little bit different. I started by trying to build a similar itinerary to what I started with with Star Alliance. To recap, my first sample trip was a cultural experiences tour from New York to Montreal to Tokyo to Bangkok to London to Tbilisi to Stockholm and then back to New York. My One World cultural experiences went the other way around the world from New York to Montreal to London to Milan to Doha to Bangkok to Tokyo and then back to New York. It ended up being a One World Explorer fare with a base fare of 3,599 US dollars and then 4,505 after taxes and surcharges in economy class. The same itinerary and business class came out to $10,933 after taxes and surcharges. Both of these prices are lower than the Star Alliance ones in my example, but keep in mind that it can vary based on your itinerary and I changed some of the destinations around to better suit the One World network. The continent-based One World Explorer has set base fares. For economy class, the base price for stops on three continents is $3,599, US four continents is $4,999, five continents is $5,699, and six continents is $6,899. And then there are taxes and fees on top of all that. What about a Global Explorer distance base fare? This would be more similar to how Star Alliance prices their around-the-world tickets. Well, I actually tried for around an hour to find and generate one of these fares, but I couldn't find one. I tried putting in hubs and routes that would be operated by the additional available airlines, but it kept putting me on One World Airlines and generating an Explorer fare with the set base fares. I'm sure that the routings are out there, but I just wasn't having much luck. Finally, for fun, I priced out an itinerary to get to all the Disney parks in the world. Some of you might know that in addition to being a lover of air travel, I'm also a big fan of Disney parks and have visited every single one in the world. So here we go. We start at Disneyland Resort in Los Angeles and then go to Orlando for Walt Disney World. Then the trip takes us to Paris for Disneyland Paris, then the Shanghai Disney Resort, Hong Kong Disneyland Resort, and finally Tokyo Disney Resort before going back to Los Angeles. The US dollar fare for this trip came out to be 4,475 in economy and 10,708 in business. The same thing about what I said for Star Alliance hubs also applies to One World as well. Flying between hubs reduces the number of connections you have to make and gives you some more options, but these alliances have such big networks that you aren't limited to the hubs. There are certain combinations that won't work though, and the tool will tell you this. On a side note, both Star Alliance and One World have a product called Circle Pacific. The idea is pretty much the same thing as the Around the World products, and the rules are fairly similar, but the parameters are that you fly to destinations around the Pacific Ocean as opposed to around the entire world. Let's take a moment to talk about cost. These itineraries aren't cheap, and for many, they might be a once-in-a-lifetime or an aspirational thing. I have some more options on how to book these types of trips later, but I want to first pause and consider two cost-related questions. Firstly, are round-the-world tickets cheaper than if you book the same flights individually? And second, is there a way where I can visit the same destinations for a lower price? The answer to both is that it depends. 
For the first question about whether the round-the-world ticket is cheaper than booking the same flights individually, the answer is often yes, especially with One World's fixed base fares. Many airlines charge a premium if you're booking international one-way flights, which is what can drive up the cost of trying to book the tickets by yourself. There's some pretty good value with around-the-world tickets, particularly in business class. For example, if you remember my One World Cultural Experience Tour, its last segment was from Tokyo to New York, and that would have been on Japan Airlines. Booking that flight in business class independently would have cost over $5,000, while my entire around-the-world business class itinerary was only around $11,000. That same one-way ticket in economy would have been over $2,000 against the round-the-world ticket cost of around $4,500. When you use an alliance's round-the-world ticket, you exclude a lot of airline options, including the low-cost and ultra-low-cost carriers out there. So what if you just go out and book the most inexpensive option that you can possibly find? Well, I found that it's possible to do the Star Alliance Cultural Experience Tour that I put together for around $2,200, which is a bit over a third of the cost that the Star Alliance ticket would have cost me. Now, this itinerary does include some segments where you'd have to pay for things like checked luggage though, and it involves making a bunch of different bookings. I don't think there's a cheaper way of doing it in business class, but we're doing a budget-friendly exercise right now anyway. For my hypothetical Disney Parks trip, the One World Fare was close to $4,500 in economy class, but I found a way to do it for closer to $2,000. This involves some low-cost carriers like Hong Kong Express from Hong Kong to Tokyo and Zip Air from Tokyo to Los Angeles. I did a bit more research beyond these examples and found that yes, you can often find something cheaper than the round-the-world ticket to visit the same destinations. Now keep in mind that all this is to provide you with some context and to give you an idea of how things are. It's one of those situations where your mileage may vary and your exact options will depend on your particular situation. If you're booking your own flights for example, your dates will have a big impact on your pricing, whereas you're somewhat shielded from that with the alliances around the world tickets. There are some good deals to be found both ways. What I can say for sure though is that comparing your options is time consuming. I was just playing around with these hypothetical options and it took hours. I can imagine going down some rabbit holes and pricing everything out on spreadsheets or a piece of paper if I were actually trying to compare options for real. And if you're making multiple bookings, you have to manage all that too. Alright, so beyond going through an alliance and booking yourself, what are other available options for booking a round-the-world itinerary? Well, there are third parties that can help you plan out your round-the-world trip. Keep in mind that I'm not affiliated with any of these and I don't get benefits or anything for talking about them. Airtrex is a well-established company that has been doing round-the-world tickets for over three decades. You can typically find lower fares with Airtrex than you can with the alliances, largely because they aren't limited to the alliance members and can instead book on a wide range of airlines. This is the same reason that I could find cheaper itineraries than what I got through the alliances. And again, this is from a budget perspective. Your best business class deals are probably still through the alliances. So let's price it out. We'll do a variation of our cultural experience tour again here. I use the same cities as my original Star Alliance trip. New York to Montreal, to Tokyo, to Bangkok, to London, to Tbilisi, to Stockholm, and then back to New York. While I got over $6,000 as a price with the Alliance, and $2,200 as the lowest possible cost, Airtrex estimated $3,409 to $4,463. It's an estimate range because Airtrex isn't actually a booking system per se, but it's more like a travel agent. The online tool lets you play around with itineraries, 
but then you get in touch with a real person to complete the booking or to get the details so that you can book it yourself. Travel agents like Flight Center or your local travel agent can also help you book around the world itinerary. They may have access to fares or ticketing options that aren't publicly available. And contrary to popular belief, they don't charge you fees, but rather make money from commissions paid by the airline. To wrap up, I want to share a few money-saving tips for booking around-the-world itinerary. Some of these will apply specifically to if you're booking everything yourself, and then some of these will apply to Alliance bookings as well. The first is to have some flexibility. If you have the time to be taking a multi-week round-the-world journey, there's a good chance that you have some flexibility with the dates, even if it's not the ones at the beginning and the end, but with the ones in the middle. Play around with different dates and see how it impacts your price. The same goes for your actual destinations. Some places have higher airfares than others, either in general or on the specific dates that you're looking at. So if you have some flexibility on where you want to go, that can help bring out some less expensive options as well. Tools that can help you with normal flight bookings might be helpful as well, like Google Flights, Skyscanner, or Thrifty Traveler. If you have points and miles to use, you can see where these fit into the picture. If you're booking multiple tickets by yourself, for example, you may be able to use points on some segments. Or you may find that starting in a city that's away from home is actually cheaper, and you either use points or find a cheap fare to get there. Some airlines' loyalty programs actually allow you to book round-the-world tickets using points as well. All Nippon Airways, Singapore Airlines, and Qantas are examples of airlines that let you book these types of tickets in exchange for a bunch of points. Throughout your journey, you might have opportunities to use less expensive methods of surface transportation. If you're traveling within places like Europe or Japan, for example, you can likely find some very affordable train options. The Alliance Round the World Trip Planners also let you have gaps in your itinerary where you can arrange alternative transportation, and this can also include other non-Alliance airlines. In preparing this episode, I found that the main thing when it comes to finding your most inexpensive option is to compare all the possibilities, and there will probably be very many. If you're looking for the absolute cheapest way to get around the world, it's likely going to involve you booking your own segments. But a round-the-world ticket from an alliance has its benefits too. There may be some very good value to be found for business class travel, and you can earn a lot of points and miles in their loyalty programs. I personally think that it would be really cool to do one of these trips, and playing around with the booking tools for this episode has certainly given me some wanderlust. Although I hope that I've given you a good idea of what your options are, how these things work, and some context on numbers, it's really one of those things where you'll get the most out of it if you look through the options that are available for your specific situation. That brings us to the end of episode 55 of Flying Smarter. The insight section of the Flying Smarter website includes written articles and stories by me about interesting aviation topics and my own air travel experiences. I post written pieces and photos there periodically, and you can head over there for more travel content. Check it out at flyingsmarter.com forward slash insights. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.